Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Jack Conti is a working musician who's had quite a bit of success via YouTube with his video songs, which have a couple of rules. One, what you see is what you hear, meaning no lip syncing for voice or instruments. And two, if you hear it, at some point you see it, meaning that there's no hidden sounds. He's also part of the California indie duo Pomplamoose with Natalie Dawn. They too make video songs of their originals, as well as quite a few renditions of some other people's songs, including Beyonce's Single Ladies, Michael Jackson's Beat It, and many more. You've heard their music in commercials for Toyota and Hyundai. Oh, and Jack is fond of his electro harmonics pedals. I spoke with him at length about a number of subjects. When did you first get into music? I was six years old when I started playing piano. And um, I started taking classical lessons. My dad taught me the blues scale at the same time. So he and I would just jam on blues. Um, and and I, I was... You know, I improvise and things, and um, I think I started, like, even writing songs when I was really young, just simple, stupid, kind of bluesy songs. And then I started, I think I really started composing and and uh, and writing when I learned theory. I was probably about 10 or 11 when I started taking jazz lessons. Maybe I was, it was like 12. But yeah, just before, just before high school, I started getting into jazz. And uh, that's when I learned what chords were and how melodies were constructed. And um, I really, I really got into writing songs and everything then. And actually, my my parents were both extremely musical. My my dad, like I said, was a jazz piano player, and my mom was a jazz singer. So I was always growing up with a lot of music in the house and a lot of jazz standards and um, you know Cole Porter, the American Songbook, the whole whole deal. So. Uh, yeah, that, that's where I'm kind of coming from, I guess. I first heard your music by way of the Electro Harmonics voice box pedal video that you did and posted on YouTube. And I was fascinated by it, uh, how you uh, made art out of the video form. Uh, where did you get the idea for the video song? Um, that was a very practical thing. What happened was uh, I was just trying everything to make a living as a musician. <laughs> and uh, I was touring and playing empty shows and um, spending months and months on records and just trying to do my best to get the word out. And finally, I, I finished this EP. It was four songs. I'd spent about six months on it. And I released the EP. And I put it on my MySpace page and had it all up on iTunes and everything through CD Baby and... You know, it was getting like my usual three plays a day on MySpace, and I was just kind of getting depressed looking at it. And around that time, someone sent me a link to a YouTube video of some kid with an acoustic guitar sitting in front of a webcam playing acoustic guitar and singing. And he had a decent voice, but he, he didn't have a great voice, and he wasn't an amazing guitar player. He was sort of an okay guitar player. He had like 250,000 views or something like that, and I just scroll back over to my MySpace page with my three plays and then back over to the YouTube video and I thought, man, I'm just uploading music to the wrong website here. I need to like get with the times. So I tried to figure out a way to convert music to video content because that seemed to be the hot thing and everybody wanted everybody wanted to be, you know, looking at videos and, and watching music. It was sort of like a rebirth of the music video days. You know, YouTube really um, reinvigorated short form content. So I, I posted some quick, I put together like a song that I did really quickly. I just videoed all the parts and then I posted on my YouTube page with a link to my MySpace page and said, Hey, my new record's here. And I sort of treated it as an advertisement for my new record that I just released. 
And what happened was I got emails and YouTube messages. Nobody cared about my new record. But it was like, hey, that was a great video. Can I have the MP3 of that, of that video that you just made? And at first I was like, yeah, sure, here you go, you know, why don't you check out my new record, and here's the MP3 of this little thing that I just did. And then started getting more and more requests for it, the MP3 of the video, and I was thinking, geez, people aren't paying attention to my record, all they want is video. So I made another one, advertised my record again, and, you know, these are songs that I put together in like a day or two. You know, I just spent six months putting together four songs. What was your first video song? first one was a song called Push, and... um the second one was a song called Eat, which still today remains like a fan favorite. It's one of my most popular songs. It's this song that I did in two days, literally. And uh, for some reason, people just wanted those songs. They didn't want the songs that I'd spent forever on. <laughs> and it's when I kind of realized that like, a lot of what makes music enjoyable is this like, rough around the edges, kind of rock and roll quality about them. Just this, this quick burst of you know, of artistic expression and not something that's completely refined and polished. There's a place for that, too. I think refinement polishing is really important. And actually, I'm moving into a phase now where that's becoming more important. But um, but at the time, it just, it seemed like the um, the kind of quick rock and roll tidbits were what were more attractive to people. And so I just started making more and more of these songs and videos, you know, two minutes you know, spend a day here and a day there and just making these songs and just not worrying about making them perfect. And um, they, got, they got pretty popular and uh, certainly more popular than anything I'd ever made before, ever. And um, I started covering some songs too and, and it, kind of, it kind of became something that I didn't expect. I mean, I thought I was making these things as an advertisement and it turned out that the advertisement was actually the product. How many hours goes into recording a video song? Well, the music was finished in about a day uh, or two. And do you set the cameras up before you start recording? Yeah, so I, I set up the camera, and um, as I'm recording each part, then I record you know, the, the drum part first usually and lay down the drums and build kind of a, a main beat track for the song, and then I lay down the bass you know, for the chorus, and then I lay down the the guitar for the chorus and then the piano for the chorus and then I'll lay down the bass later for the verse and then, you know, that kind of stuff. And that usually is finished in a couple days. Um, sometimes for, like, more elaborate songs, it takes a lot longer. Like, my most recent record, I did, like, at two hours at a time because I was having a lot of family issues at the time and I just couldn't afford to spend whole days recording. So that, that took a long time. But those early ones were done really, really quickly, you know, within a few days. Um, Pomplamoose did one actually in 24 hours <laughs> once and that's our se it's our second most watched video on youtube is a song that we literally started and finished within 24 hours and then the video editing takes you know a solid day of work sometimes we spread it over multiple days but it's you know it's probably about eight to, to 16 hours of work did you expect the video songs to be as successful as they were uh, yeah, that's, that's why I started doing them. I thought, you know, maybe they'll be successful. I didn't know that they would be successful. Um, and in fact, you know, like I said, at the time I was just trying a bunch of things and that's something that happened to work. So I started doing more of that. If something else had worked, I would have concentrated on that. I don't know that it's luck necessarily, but you know, I was going to do things and different things until something worked. <laughs> and it just so happened that the video song thing worked which was great here's jack with flavors See you. 
tell me about some of your gear and uh, musical instruments that you work with. It's funny because as I'm talking about all this, uh, things have really changed in the last year, and I've been really getting into more electronic music. But uh, yeah, so for that old stuff, all of that, all those instruments are acoustic instruments mostly. Um, even the, the electronic instruments are are mostly analog, you know, circuitry. Not that I uh, think that it sounds better per se. I just, I like the workflow of working with analog instruments better because you can kind of tweak them really easily and change them as you're going. And, you know, like I'll put things in my piano and um, you can't really do that with a digital piano. And I, th- I think it, it can really affect how you write a song and how you, how you play a song. If you, if you create a sound first and then you compose the song with that sound, it, it changes the way the song feels and sounds. So, um, and it also can be very, you know, inspiring to write a song with a particular kind of sound. So yeah, I use a piano from like the 1890s. Um, it's in one of those old Chicago pianos. And, uh, I recently built a mandolin rail for that. So it's got these, sounds like an old tack piano, like in a lot of those Elliott Smith and Beatles recordings. And let's see, then I've got a Rhodes. It's a, a 73 Mark, Oh, geez, is it a Mark One or a Mark II? Actually, I don't even remember if it's Mark One or Mark II. But then I've got a Wurlitzer 200, and that's a, a really great old keyboard from the 70s. I think it's a 72. Um, and I love, I love, love, love that keyboard. That's, that's like used in almost all my songs. It's got a great sound to it. I got it for 600 bucks on Craigslist. <laughs> all my stuff I got on Craigslist for like really good prices. I bought my accordion years and years ago for 180 bucks from, from some lady. Let's see. I also have a, um, the Juno synth, which is nice, a little analog keyboard from the eighties. And I have, um, a Martin acoustic guitar. Natalie has a little Sears and Roebuck parlor guitar from, from the, uh, what is it, 1920s, I think? So it's a pretty old guitar. And then I've got a Hammond C3 organ, which is like the same guts as the B3, but just with a different wood body. So it's literally exactly the same sound, exactly the same loud, exactly the same keyboard. But it just has, instead of, it's the, it's the church model of the organ. So it has a panel, so you can't see the organist's legs in case it's a lady wearing a skirt. <laughs> the church is didn't want to be able to look up, didn't want people in the audience looking up the person's skirt. So they just have a solid piece of wood instead of legs. And that's literally the only difference between the C3 and the B3. That and about 8000 bucks. <laughs> so, so I got a C3, which is great. And I really like that. It's inspiring to play. It, it, um, I got it with a Leslie 122, which is, um, you know, one of those old rotating speakers. And that's fun to play with. It's just unmistakable and really cool. Let's see, what's some other gear that I have? I have a um, Nelson electric guitar, which is handmade by Bobby Nelson. He bought all these original, um, like, guitar machines from the Martin factories, um, from the original Martin factories, and he, he renovated these machines himself, and he, and he uses those old Martin machines to make electric guitars, which is pretty cool. And um, so I use, I use one of his electric guitars, which I love, and it's awesome. And then all of my pedals, I think all of them except for, like, two of them are electroharmonics pedals. And I love, 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 love that company. Everybody thinks that they pay me, <laughs> which they don't. I just love them because uh, for a couple reasons. One, their gear is amazing and it sounds amazing. And uh, two, they saw a video that I made a long time ago. It was... Um, let's see, what video was it? Oh, it was my Radiohead Chopin cover. And I used the Memory Man in that video. And they emailed me and they said, hey, we saw that you're using the Memory Man. Do you mind if we post your video on our site? And I said, yeah, totally. Can you send me some pedals? (laughs) And they said, well, we'll send you one and maybe you can make a demo for us. I said, great. They sent me a pedal. I made them a demo and they they totally loved it. And um, I think then the next week they sent me a pack with like six new pedals in it and i made a few more demos for them um with the pedals and then they just sent me more pedals and more pedals and then they just started sending me tons of pedals so now i have an arsenal of like 30 ehx pedals um which totally totally completely shaped my sound for like the next three years and still does i mean all you know my guitar tones are basically entirely electro harmonics and um 
that was a, that was a really big deal for me because I didn't have to spend thousands of dollars building a, a pedal arsenal. And I like them because they they totally you know I, I I'm not a huge musician you know I'm I'm a little internet dude making videos by myself in my you know in my little home studio and they didn't care you know they 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 thought it was totally rock and roll and they believed in it and they liked the music and so they endorsed me um, which you know I've since gone to multiple companies um, and been like hey here's what I do can you guys send me some of your gear? Because, you know, these videos get millions and millions of views. Quantum Moose has, you know, 80 million views, and we could be using your microphone in all our videos. And uh, and these companies don't get it. You know, they they uh, they don't want to endorse us. <laughs> so so Electroharmonics didn't even have to be asked. They just did it. <laughs> and uh, I really like them for that. I really think they're awesome. Can you tell me a bit about the recording sessions for your album VS4 and maybe mention some of the musicians you played with on it? Okay, we got Andy Andy Wilkie on trumpet, Troy Steinmetz on clarinet, Jocelyn Bentley, Presswitch on oboe, Matt Payne on trombone, Louis Passer on cello, Anton Passer on violin. So that's that's the crew and then all the, you know, the rhythm section instruments were all we're all needed the drums and bass and guitars and all the effects and that kind of stuff and piano and all that um but yeah the orchestral stuff was um i don't i don't play any of those instruments so i noticed that some of your newer video songs from vs4 were in a different place were you in a recording studio or was that uh some new location well i moved <laughs> during the recording of that record i moved um out of my dad's house <laughs> and into um, my own house up in Sonoma. Yeah, at the same time that I was recording it, I was building, I was building a studio on the property. There's like a little outbuilding that used to be. It's a 600 square foot building. It used to be a dog kennel, and it was just a total. It was a total mess. There were like thousands of just rat shits everywhere, <laughs> and like dead rats, and the sheetrock was sagging in, and smelled like piss it was just the most awful horrible place <laughs> and uh and i um yeah it took quite a bit of money and about um eight months to kind of turn it into um you know a recording space so that's that's what you're seeing in the most recent videos is that space was your process the same in recording that album as the others yeah it was a little different because um it's still all the same rules of the video song, but I spent way more time on those songs than I spent on the other video songs. So I did a lot of orchestration for those songs. I mean, I, I actually published a book of all the orchestration. It's like 100 pages um, of just the conductor parts, <laughs> which just totally changes the workflow because you're doing so much pre-production. When you do that much pre-production, you have to do a lot of planning for the songs. So I did a lot of planning. And actually, I don't know, I think it turned out pretty well. Um, the songs, while they are popular songs, and for the amount of work that I put into them, it certainly didn't, like, they, they weren't that much more popular. So I'm still not convinced that spending more time on something makes it better. Um, in fact, it might be the opposite, that doing something really quickly <laughs> makes it better. But, um, you know, these are things that I'm still learning and trying to figure out how to deal with. So when and where did you meet Natalie Dawn? Natalie and I met um, at school. She was opening for my band that I was in at the time, which was a silly pop band. And I saw her and listened to her playing, and I, it was like totally a cinematic moment. It was uh, right out of a movie. I, like, I loved, loved, loved what she was playing, and I totally fell in love with her music, and, and we like locked eyes, and I don't know, it was just really romantic and crazy. And then I went up to her afterwards, and I was like, hey, do you have an album? I want to listen to your voice every day. <laughs> and she said, no. And I said, do you want one? Because at the time I was producing a lot of music and working on a lot of stuff. And, and she said, sure. So we went into the studio together and um, I started like working on her album and it just failed miserably. We were, we really liked each other and we, and we really like wanted to date. And so we tried recording and dating together at the same time and it just didn't work. It was impossible. And then um, we actually broke up and then got back together a year later. And then a year after we got back together, we decided to like give it another shot recording together. And so um, 
couple who started as me producing one of Natalie's songs, which we did, but then we felt like it changed so much in the recording process that it should be more of like a band and less of me producing her. So we, we decided that it would be a joint effort and kind of came up with the name Pompamoose on a whim. And, and then it, we posted it on my channel just cause we didn't even think it was going to be a, like a band kind of thing. We just kind of posted a collaboration video. Yeah. It, it, it did way better than anything I'd ever come out with and better than anything Natalie had come out with. So it seemed like it was a good team up. So we released another one and then it just kind of kept snowballing. Do you think that doing the video songs of covers really helped build your audience? Um, there are a few things that I'm really sure about in the music business. Um, I really don't know what I'm doing, but that's one thing that I'm, I'm like 99.999% sure about <laughs> when we, when we post, you know, when we put up that cover of single ladies, it just got a ton of traffic. And then we just started posting other cover songs and each one just got more attention than the last. And we booked a show at a cafe especially a laundromat in san francisco called brainwash you know it's a little place that holds 50 people we booked that gig and then and then we released the single ladies video and then we played the show and when we got there there were 400 people outside brainwash and like there were 200 there were 200 inside and another 200 outside like all along the street like people were crowded in the street and like taking up street space and sidewalk space, it was insane. And it was, and the only difference was the release of that single ladies video. So it was, it was insane. We got, when we released that, we got calls from all the major labels and, you know, we talked with tons of industry people and we decided to keep flying it solo and to not sign any contracts. So, which we're still doing today. We still don't have a, a label behind us. You know, it's all, it's all ourselves. So yeah, that, that's, that's kind of the, the story of Pompamous and, and the covers, yeah, the, the covers were a huge, huge difference for us. Um, obviously, the reason is because of search engine optimization. You know, people have never heard of Pompamous. They don't search for Pompamous. People are searching for Beyonce single ladies. And when they do that, YouTube recommends our video, which is also titled Beyonce single ladies and has an adorable picture of a beautiful girl <laughs> as the thumbnail. And so people click it, and then they see our video, and they get introduced to our stuff. And, and yeah, it absolutely, it's, it spreads um, much better when you have covers and you employ search engine optimization. And what is happening with Pomplamoose right now? Uh, we are recording and making videos, although we're not making video songs, really. We're trying to make more um, music video-style videos, partially because we feel like, you know, the video song is was really cool at the time and it was like a really interesting engaging thing at the time and it's just a little less so now because it's so ubiquitous now so many people are making video songs um that it's just it's just not as exciting anymore so um we're we're doing music videos which is kind of fun for us and you know we're getting to come up with cool ideas and make you know fun exciting videos which is i don't know it's great for us so it's a challenge but um so we're doing that, and then we're recording more songs and some covers and some originals and um, just, you know, still chugging along. How's it different working with her versus working on your own stuff? We're getting a little more electronic, which means me spending more time in front of a computer, and that's pretty different than how it used to be. And so making my stuff and making Pompamoose's stuff is kind of like starting to merge a little bit because my stuff is also getting very electronic. I guess it's always been, it's always felt very natural for me though. Like I, I never feel like I've had to like uh, force it in any way. So, so it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel super different, even though I guess it is. The, the main difference, I guess, is tone. You know, Pomplamoose's tone is very, is very like happy and excited. And um, my tone tends to be more dark and just kind of weird and sadder, I guess. So, so yeah, I guess bringing those tones to the songs makes it kind of a different process. Here's Pomplamoose with Beat the Horse. Don't you like what's on your plate? It's not free Shaking fists at this
What kinds of music do you enjoy listening to? Uh, I like all kinds of music. Um, I listen to these days. I've been listening to a lot of EDM, probably like everybody, <laughs> um, and uh, I like really intense music. I think so. I, like I really, as as smash you in the face as it is, I really like a lot of Skrillex. I just I love the energy of it, and I love how fuck you it feels, and I just I just love that. But I also listen to a lot of like old music, so um, you know, like a couple a couple tracks that I recently starred on my on my Spotify playlist. I don't know if you if you do the Spotify thing, but man, I, I totally love Spotify from a consumer standpoint. It's great from an artist standpoint. It's awful, but from man from a consumer, it's really it's really killer. But so you know, some tracks that I recently favorited are um, you know Fred Astaire's "Putting on the Ritz," which is just an amazing song. And then the Benny Goodman band has a song called Don't Be That Way, which is really great. <laughs> it's like an old big band kind of arrangement. And then I also listen to like a lot of acoustic music, like Elliot Smith. I just, I'm a huge Elliot Smith fan. I'm a big Radiohead fan. I really like Cone Sound. They kind of fuse this funk and um, EDM vibe. Some Beck, you know, I like, I, I think I like mostly pop music. I do enjoy jazz and classical music too, but I'd say most of my time is spent listening to, you know, pop music. Who else have you worked with? And do you have any other upcoming collaborations? Yeah, some really exciting collaborations that we've had. Um, ben Folds was a really uh, great collaboration that we that we did. Um, he and I were speaking together at a music tech conference, and um, we met on this panel and just had a you know kind of hit it off and he uh sent us a message a few weeks later and said hey i want to do that thing that you guys do in your studio (laughs) can i come over and do that and uh and you know we we worked it out our our people talked with his people (laughs) you know and um and he came over and and uh and we did a song for a, a few days and it was just the funnest thing ever he's the coolest guy on the planet ben is um is a real pleasure to work with. He's like really easygoing, really exciting, um, very, very musical. Just, just a powerhouse of a musician. You know, he he knows his shit, and he's he's a great musician. Um, he's a great pop musician too. Really nice guy. Really great sensibility, and just so knowledgeable about recording and production. And um, I learned so much from him. You know, just watching him record was great for me. Like. For this one part, he literally just held the microphone in his hand above the piano and kind of moved it around the piano and, and played with his other hand was playing the chugs, you know, the piano chords. And uh, that was so inspiring to me because, like, I had always set up microphones on stands and, you know, with shock mounts and pop filters, you know, because I didn't want them to, you know, get, like, extra low-frequency rumble. And here he is, like, literally holding a condenser microphone with his hand, you know, above a piano, and um, and we're recording at the same time. I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. So he, he really made me feel, like, more free in the studio and made me feel like I could do anything and and really just experiment. And um, He's a great guy. So... So that was cool. Ben Folds is amazing. Um, let's see, we've worked with Brad Meldow, done a lot of recording with him over the years, which has been exciting, and none of that has been released yet, but I hope we release something at some point. We just He comes to the Bay Area every once in a while, and so we don't really have a chance to like, finish stuff, because he's only here for a day, so we record like a day at a time. <laughs> but, um, but it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, we're recording little bits and pieces. He's probably, I don't know, he, he's one of my heroes. Maybe my biggest hero is a wonderful jazz piano player. Just, I think, the, the best living jazz piano player today. And let's see, other collaborations. Allie Willis, who wrote that song September. She saw our cover of September, and then we did a, we did a song with her called Jungle Animal, which was amazing. Um, she's a kick. just an incredible lady, and she was really fun to work with. There's one guy who I think is connected with you. Uh, it's a Ryan Lerman. I really, I dig one of his songs, um, Rhymes With Nothing. Yeah, Ryan and I have been friends since high school, and um, he's our guitar player in in our live band, in Pomp Moose's live band, and he and I have been working on music together since day one. He's an incredible musician. He's also Ben Folds' bass player um, in, in Ben Folds' live band. He's an amazing musician. He's a session studio 
guitar player in, in L.A. and just an amazing artist and an amazing songwriter. And he and I work on things every once in a while together. Like, he was in the, the Pop Moose video um, for Mr. Sandman. He played that guitar part. Yeah, he's great. He actually just released an album called Pinstripes the Sky, and it's an incredible album. We have this question at Music Life Radio that we always like to ask. It's, what does music mean to you? For me, music um, is a lot of things practically as well as um, theoretically and emotionally. Um, music for me is a huge release. You know, it's a, it's a way for me to express certain things about my inner personality that don't get a chance to be expressed in life. So in that sense, it's, it's like a release. It's kind of like a, a, a dream, I suppose, because your dream, when you dream, you know, you, you process information and images and stories that your brain doesn't really want to process in its conscious time. And, and music, I, I sort of allow music to be that for me too. You know, I, I, um, I will kind of, process things that I talk about in dreams or feelings that I don't want to express or I think because I'm a very like happy in general I'm a very happy positive person you know I spend most of my time being trying to be positive at least even when I'm feeling down and I do feel down pretty often usually you know related to music um you know about not not feeling uh like my mixes are as good as someone else's or feeling like my songs don't you know, compared to other people's, whatever, whatever it is, you know, it's usually has to do with comparing myself to other people, which probably isn't good. But, um, but in general, I'm, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty positive person. And so music for me is a opportunity to express all the other things that everybody else in their life feels, but doesn't really have a, a chance to express at some point. And, and, uh, it's a great way for me to do that. Um, and then also it means, you know, it, it's, it feels like a relationship for me. You know, it's a way for Natalie and me to spend time together in a nice way and to get excited about things and projects together. Um, so it's a, you know, it's, it's a way for us to, to be together. Um, and then it also, it also means memories and childhood and all that kind of stuff for me because, you know, it, it's nostalgia. You know, when I was growing up, I, I heard so much of that, of those old tunes and um, they really shaped who I am. So, so yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that's, that's what it means to me. It's, it's a lot of things. It's happiness, it's release, it's processing of data and emotions that I, I don't really have time to process otherwise, or don't really have desire to process otherwise. It's, it's an excuse for me to be a little crazy. That's another thing music is. It's an excuse for me to go nuts, which I really want to, I really want to do. I, I like going nuts. And, uh, and it's kind of hard to go nuts in society. But for some reason, when you're playing music, you're allowed to go nuts. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, it's an excuse for me to go crazy. Do you like to go anywhere to get inspiration, such as out in nature? Yeah, recently um, I've realized that sometimes being in my studio is the least inspirational place. And I don't know why that is. Probably just because I've spent so much time in there and I have this setup, and it almost feels like routine at this point and... And I feel like you need something beyond routine when you're making music, you know? But um, so some inspirational places, oddly enough, have been like cars and Motel 6 rooms and just like random places where I can take out my laptop, put on a pair of earphones and just work for a few hours. Um, I found that when I make music in new locations like that, it really makes me come out with different kinds of stuff and I make a lot of progress when I'm in those new spaces just working on a on a minimal setup instead of at my studio with everything at my disposal um you'd think it would be the opposite but when I like strip away everything and just go with my laptop earphones and a mouse um I tend to be very creative so I try to get out of my studio and just go to other places you know often these days because it it helps me for some reason.
How did the Hyundai commercials come about? We got an email saying, hey, uh, you guys are great. You want to be on TV? <laughs> and, uh, and we said, sure. <laughs> then more of this your people talk with our people kind of thing. And then like two weeks later, there were like 10 giant trucks out on our property and like huge buses and like tons of sets and these new Hyundai cars. And yeah, they came to us and they, they wanted to do it. They were, they were sincerely awesome. I mean, talk about a great corporate relationship um we told them you know hey if we're gonna do this we're gonna do it our way and they said awesome that's how we want to do it we want to do it your way so like for instance they weren't in the room like they had a team of 50 people up on our property uh, literally like 50 people and you know expense all kinds of recording gear and lights and they had this full setup with a lot of people and a lot of money writing on this commercial series i mean you know, they had a budget for their holiday commercial series and they were spending it all on this. And we said, hey, you can't be in the room when we're filming. <laughs> and they said, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> after all that, like, it's literally me and Natalie in our garage by ourselves shooting these commercials. And there's 50 people outside waiting for us to finish shooting and <laughs> to put this footage together. And we also said, okay, we'll do this, but Natalie gets to edit the commercials. And they said, okay. So Natalie got to edit these commercials. We literally got to make exactly what we wanted to make. And they were like gung-ho about that, which for us was like the, the coolest possible way to have a corporate relationship because I've done corporate relationship work before. And I can tell you, people are not excited to let artists do their own thing. Um, in fact, it's, it's the opposite. They, they want to dip their hands in the creative bucket and, and Hyundai was totally understanding. And more than that, they were, they wanted us to do our own thing. You know, they said, Hey, you guys are successful. You do your thing well, and we want to do exactly that. And we got to, and it was, it was, um, it was really great for us. I mean, those two months, our sales went up a huge percentage, I think a couple thousand percent, actually. I mean, we sold a ton of songs. We got a lot of got a lot of press. We got a lot of negative press actually because they played the song. They played the commercials so much. Man, I got so sick of those commercials. People hated us by the end of that month. <laughs> Thank God that the public is fickle, um, and they forgot about it. But I mean, we got a lot of positive stuff and and a lot of negative stuff too, just because it, it got overplayed. But that said, overall, it was an extremely positive experience for us, and Hyundai was just amazing there. They're a great company. Have you had any other advertising opportunities come your way? Sure. Um, we released an Angry Birds video last year, and we did a product placement for a Samsung phone in that video, which was really exciting for us. That was cool. We did a Toyota commercial as well. We get you know little songs on TV spots now and again, like little you know TV shows or you know talk shows or whatever it is. So those things come up now and again, and and they they add up to you know to a percentage of our income, which is great. Um, it sort of keeps us staying afloat and being, you know, musicians, which is awesome. I seem to recall coming across a, uh, a YouTube clip from a live performance of Pomplamoose. Where was that at? Loudville Studios in Sausalito. It's when we had the full band, right? And we, uh, yeah, it was the webcast. That was a great, that was a great gig. Um, it was really fun. We, we, at the time we were doing this weekly television, not television show, a weekly web show. And, um, for the, the season finale, if you will, <laughs> we rented out the studio and did a webcast from a legit studio with our full band. And, uh, they had all the webcasting facilities and boy, it was really great. Um, it was just a lot of fun and they were a great studio. They did a really good job, you know, filming it and setting up the vibe and everything. I thought it sounded really good too. We, we got one of our friends to mix it, this guy Alex Fender, who's a great mixing engineer and songwriter himself. And yeah, it was a, it was a fun experience. Do you have any gig stories? You said that um, Pomplamoose has toured. Yeah, um, Pomplamoose has done two tours, and I've done three or four tours by myself. Um, yeah, here's a funny story. <laughs> this is before video songs. I was playing, a, um, playing this bar in L.A., I think. My buddies had um they were not 21 yet i had just turned 21 so they weren't able to come into the bar actually to play so i i um i had a solo show at the time so i decided to just play my solo show 
and the band that um that we had gotten to that we were going to be opening for you know we had picked a band on myspace and said hey do you guys want a headline we can set up a show we'll arrange everything and we'll set up the bill and you guys just show up and play you know we're basically trying to get an audience in for our music this is before we had an audience at all and literally the, the band didn't show up <laughs> to the gig and hadn't promoted the show or anything um they they didn't even go to the show <laughs> so um Literally, there was nobody there. And when I say nobody, I mean not a single person <laughs> came to the show. So, And my buddies, who I was on tour with, who weren't 21 yet, weren't allowed into the venue. So there was a bartender, and there was me. And I was playing on stage by myself. <laughs> and at one point, the bartender left the room to go to the bathroom or something. And I was literally playing a stage in a 2,000-square-foot club by myself with not a soul around me <laughs> and i just I, I think i finished the whole set i played the whole 45 minute show just to no one and um it was it was a real real great experience for me i mean boy that's that's fucking hard man that's as hard as it gets <laughs> but um you know i guess it's it's important to do that and you know thank goodness something worked after that because I think you can take so much of playing gigs for nobody before it gets really depressing. That reminds me of something. I'd gone to see a, a band at a local club, um, and the headlining band, this was like a Sunday night, the headlining band was White Zombie, you know, before they got really big. and But they had had their album out, and they were probably touring in support of it. And there was like 30 people in the club, but they still put on a show... Like they were playing to, you know, 1,500, 2,000, maybe 10,000 people. And they did the same thing for us, the 30 people who were in the club. And I always thought from then on, I was like, that's what you got to do. If you're playing to one person in the crowd, you still got to put the effort out that you're playing for 10,000 people. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I just went to a Skrillex show and... He was playing at the Warfield, which is a 2,500-person club. And, you know, Skrillex is now playing, you know, festivals of 200,000 people. <laughs> and um, But the show was amazing, and he was going crazy and apeshit, you know, for, for 2,500 people. And that's part of what makes the EDM world so exciting, I think, is a lot of these DJs, they're not prima donnas. You know, a lot of rock stars are prima donnas. You know, they, they want to play big venues and they want crazy riders and you know they go for maximum and like a lot of the DJs you know they'll play a giant 200,000 person festival one day and then they'll play like a 500 person club the next day and that's what their tour is it's just like different capacities different venues every night depending on the situation and they're just totally happy to be playing music and and rocking out you know so um, I completely agree I completely agree the same show, 10,000 people or 10 people. Hey, Pomplamoose played the Warfield in San Francisco, right? Yeah, we did, yeah. And what was that experience like? We were opening for the Dresden Dolls on New Year's Eve, and um, it was crazy. Amanda Palmer is insane, and um, she's a huge inspiration to me, um, just business-wise and um, even musically. There's, she has some really cool songs, and uh, the Dresden Dolls are awesome. They're just so rock and roll. Um, they're like the epitome of rock stars. They, I think they really like embody the, the punk rock spirit. <laughs> um, so, uh, it was, it was a great experience. It was like incredibly overwhelming. It was the biggest show we'd ever played. A lot of people and a lot of energy and the Dresden Dolls were crazy. It was an adjustment for us because we're not used to that kind of show. Um, but it you know it worked out and it was really fun and they were totally relaxed about it and just happy to you know to be there so it was a really good experience do you have anything else you'd like to impart to our listeners yeah just a maybe 10 seconds of a soapbox here i just i feel like um i feel like we're in a very very exciting time and place for musicians and um it's possible to to make a living as a musician right now without being famous without being lady gaga um you can have your own like subculture of fans and your your small niche of fans 
And the thing is, on the internet, they're all over the world. So it means that it's enough people to support you and to help you make a living. And you don't have to be rich and famous, and you don't have to have a label, and you don't have to have marketing and PR and lots of infrastructure and a huge team. You can have your own little small team, and it might feel a little disorganized and a little crazy, but it's enough to make a living. And um, that's like the first time in history that artists have really that musical artists really have been able to do it by themselves, just Facebook and YouTube and going straight to the people. And, uh, man, I think that's exciting. You know, this is the first time that's ever happened. And, uh, I think it's important that artists all over the world take advantage of that and, and really start, you know, making music that they believe in and, and letting people hear it. Thank you so much, Jack. It's been great talking with you. I look forward to hearing more of your music. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. For more of Jack's music, go to jackconti.com. Also visit pomplamoose.com. That's P-O-M-P-L-A-M-O-O-S-E.com. That's the French word for grapefruit. Um, Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, and their music's available on iTunes as well. And also check out Natalie Dawn's uh, website, YouTube, and, uh, and also definitely Ryan Lerman. I really dig their the music they're putting out. It's good independent music. We're going to leave you with one more track here. This is Pomplamoose with Don't Stop Loving Me. Thank you for listening. I'm Josh Almond for Music Live Radio. Yeah. My friends will always love watching stupid movies. Your homies will always